hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Three, two, one. Welcome back to a Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. I am thrilled this evening to have a brand new guest on the podcast, Mr. Dylan Reese. Say hello, Dylan. Hello, Dylan. How's it going? How are we? Well done. Straight off the bat, you got that out. I'm really <laughs> well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. I'm very excited to be here uh, to talk about some real life televised Doctor Who. When podcasts collide as well. Indeed, indeed. You have your very own Doctor Who podcast. I do, I do. I have a podcast called uh, Doctor Who Too Hot for TV, uh, named after the Jerry Springer spin-off video. I don't know whether anybody ever got <laughs> that, that tenuous reference, but our logo is based on the Jerry Springer logo and everything. Um, and we look at all things Doctor Who Extended Universe. So we look at books and comics and audiobooks and scripts for unmade stories and things like that. It's all uh, nothing's too niche for us, as the uh, as, as the catchphrase for the podcast goes. It started off with me and my brother, uh, but he no longer does it. And now I have a guest co-host every week talking about all things Extended Universe. Most recently, we've just done the script for the unmade 30th anniversary story, The Dark Dimensions, as we record Ooh, this. I bet that's it, interesting. Oh, it's it's fabulous. Um, and a terrible, terrible script. I think yours is the only podcast, you know, apart from mine, that has touched onto the BBV spin-offs as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, uh, so I love the BBV stuff. I wrote... Uh, a, this is a plug but uh many years ago i wrote a book called downtime the lost years of doctor who which looked at all of the bbv and real-time spin-offs and stuff like that and covered up the, it covered up like the whole of the 90s essentially and a little bit before and then sort of the decline of that industry uh little cottage industry shall we say um and i've just always loved those spin-offs um the good the bad and the ugly of them so yeah we do cover excuse them. me fuck dalek invasion of earth where can i get hold of that book <laughs> Uh, you that, can get that is my period, baby. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> you can get that from Obverse Books, who do like the Black Archive and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. Uh, it came out in 2015, um, so it's quite a while ago, but it doesn't deal with the new era of BBV, shall we say, which is maybe for the best. I don't know. I, um, I've done commentaries on with my other half actually on Auton and Shakedown, yeah, and the Devil of Winterbourne and things like this. like they were keeping the flame alive, weren't they? Let, you, know, like, you know what? You know, the production values are variable. Sometimes yeah. the performances are variable. <laughs> but do you know what? They were putting material out there. I was eating it up at the time. <laughs> yeah, and so was I. I used to love them, you know. I was like 11, 12, 15, whatever. Whenever, like, I was... So, yeah, it was all of my teenage years, those things sort of came out. So I've got, you know, very fond memories of them. I think... The production side of things really suffers when you watch them now because it's a bit like, A, they're all shot on videotape, video. like, so it's pre-digital revolution. Also, a lot of people have copies of these things that are from recorded from videotapes years ago, so they're not the best quality. And actually, the, the DVD versions do kind of scrub up as well as they can. In fact, there's a, I think it's either The Devil or The Ghost of Winterbourne. When it was scrubbed up in high definition... I could see a man's penis through his pants. So I was like, <laughs> "Oh, I know which one you're talking about." <laughs> I tell you what, right? We're so obsessed with these BBV things. Um, <laughs> me and Mark went to see Joe Castleton, who plays uh, God, what's the woman's name? <gasps> Natasha Alexander yeah. in the Alton spin-offs. <laughs> we went and saw her at a local theatre production. Incredible. She was too. Yeah. yeah. 
That's, that's, supposed to be talking about again? Oh yeah, Dalek Invasion Earth. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know well, why I bother. Why I bother picking a television episode? We could have just done BBV all night. Well, don't you worry. There's time ahead of us, all right? Indeed. Indeed. I haven't touched on. Do you know what my favourite is? Have you ever seen um, Lost in Space? Yes, I have seen <laughs> Lost incredible. in Space. Honestly, yeah. girl power. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, so uh, your podcast is available what, on all recognisable podcast catchers. Yes, catchers, platforms, whatever they're called. I never really know what to call them. I don't know where the catcher things come from. But uh, yes, you can get it there and you can find me on Twitter at Dylan Does Who. And I post all the links up and everything like that. But yeah, if you're interested in it, if you're interested in tenuous Doctor Who spinoffs or, you know, some of the more legit ones as well, then we, we try and cover them all. And uh, I know some people said, oh, but I don't know anything about them, so I'm not sure whether I should listen. We do do a quick plot synopsis before each thing, so you don't you, you don't feel like you have to know the story of the Faction Paradox comic that lasted for two issues that we covered on, on one of the things. So, yeah, just um, we try and make it accessible. It's this is the whole universe <laughs> of storytelling that came out in that time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. People um, don't, don't really know about if you've kind of joined with a new series. I think going down that kind of niche avenue, that's kind of unique. And there are a lot of Doctor Who podcasts out there that aren't doing unique things. So, well, yeah, no, we, the, the, as the 90s is kind of the basis for it because that's my era. But mm. we did, we, uh, we've covered things from the 60s right, right through to now. Um, and next year, I'm going to try and cover a spin-off from every Doctor. And I mean every Doctor. Um, oh my. <laughs> I think I'll be thinking now. Do you mean those Doctor Who confidentials that William Hartnell did back in the 60s? <laughs> no, but you know, this this comic strips an annual story. We covered an annual story in one of them in which uh, oh. the first Doctor gets completely naked. So Honestly, I did a romance commentary the other day and I was getting very hot under the collar in that sauna scene. Honestly, the only sauna scene in Doctor Who. It's and it's William Arnold and Nero. I mean, of course it is. Do you know what? That's a rather brilliant segue into the season that we're going to be talking about today. It is indeed. Which is season two. Um, so a few questions then. What are your general thoughts on the first that sort of first Doctor's era, season two in general, and the Dalek invasion of Earth that we're going to talk about. Well, so I I love the Hartnell era, and whenever I am invited onto somebody's podcast to talk about televised Doctor Who, I'm always itching for a chance to talk Hartnell. I'm really not a fan of Susan, so I'm quite glad that she sort of <laughs> gets the this boot in this story. story. is custom built for you then, isn't it? <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I love William Hartnell. I love, um, I love Ian and Barbara and Stephen and even Dodo and Vicky. Vicky is the queen. Um, and it, I, I've, it took me a long time to learn to love that era. Like when I got into Doctor Who as a kid, it, I did. I found it quite inaccessible for a long time. It didn't feel like the Doctor Who I know. So I guess that's why I like it a lot now because it sometimes feels not as fresh as other eras. Like. I can tell you what happens in Revenge of the Cybermen and Day of the Daleks verbatim almost because I watched the VHSs on repeat as a kid, but the Hartnell ones never really got touched until I was in sort of my late 20s, I guess, when I really kind of went back to them and revisited them again and again and again. Uh, as I said to you, I would have picked uh, The Keys of Marinus, but you'd already done that. And I wanted like a, you know, I love a Hartnell six-parter, so it, this, this one seemed like a good one. And maybe... 
I was tempted by the Reign of Terror as well, but I've recently done a podcast with the Doctor Who show about Dennis Spooner's work. So I just thought, you know what, let's go for this because it's not one that I'm hugely fond of. It's not. It's never a go-to Hartnell of mine. And I've got to be honest, and I'm sure I'm not alone, I much prefer the film version, uh, which I, I know much better. Yeah, I, I, I think I prefer the film. Just, just mostly for the production value. Yeah. Um, although... This this story is some is one that when I first watched it, I just thought, wow, this is really creaky stuff. Yeah. And the more I've watched it, the more I feel like we might be heading this way, you know, with, with about <laughs> the Daleks. I find it quite scary now, you know. Yeah. Um, and like with the Hartnell era, I remember like what was your what was your least favorite subject at school? Uh it was either geography. Or yeah, probably geography. I reckon. Well, I loathed history. Okay, right, passion, borderline <laughs> insanity. And when I discovered Doctor Who, uh, young, um, those Hartnell historicals really gripped me. I was like, my God, here's a way I can actually learn about history that's going to yeah. keep me interested. And I, I still adore all of those. And I tend to find my go-to Hartnells are the historical ones, the massacre. Yeah myth makers the gunfighters the romans the aztecs um and the the science fiction ones there's a couple of really strong ones the daleks yeah. uh the daleks master plan i think is really strong as well um but i tend to find the science fiction ones i don't know yeah the bbc absolutely could realize a historical whereas when we're heading into the future 2500 pounds <laughs> was a long way to stretch you know well, I think they make a bloody fair stab in this. They they do, and I think I, I like I think my go to Hartnell is probably the Romans or the gunfighters. So I prefer. I think I like them sillier. Um, I also really love the Reign of Terror and and the Keys of Marinus, which I know don't get a lot of love, but I think those are sort of my three or four go tos. This is still Whitaker script editing. Yeah, version of Earth, isn't it? Yeah. When does Spooner got... come in? Is it? Oh, actually, Spooner comes in at some point during season two, but these are this and Planet of Giants. Oh, the hangover. Shot in season they? one. Mm. Yeah. So Spooner is basically from the next story onwards. Um, I've, I've got a lot of love for Dennis Spooner. but uh, I, I just think he, I think William Russell says it best in the Romans documentary. It's like suddenly all this humour hit the show. Yeah. And we were saying, you know, instead of saying this terrible old science fiction B-movie dialogue, <laughs> we were just saying very funny, witty lines with energy, you know, lines that you yeah. might actually say. I love it. He he makes he makes the characters real. Like, he makes them have... He makes them bicker in an interesting way and have interesting relationships. And I think you do start to see that formed here and towards the end of that first season, but it's the second season where all those relationships are really formed, especially when the annoying Susan's gone. But uh, more about that later. And, and I'll, I'll, I am Susan's least... I, I, I really do not enjoy Susan. And I've met Caroline Ford a few times as well and had a few <laughs> unusual incidents with her. <laughs> Uh, one where my hand was covered in ink and uh, well anyway it was a whole thing. <laughs> um man vicky comes in and she's full of energy and excitement oh, and up for the adventure you yeah know. she's amazing but unfortunately we've got six episodes of susan to get through but we'll I, be fine. <laughs> i'm like you though i my favorite two harnels or my go-tos are the romans and the gunfighters yeah they're so much fun they are really fun and and kind of pacey i think the romans has got a hell of a pace it gives the yeah i know we're not talking about the romans sorry any excuse <laughs> to do it 
And you know, you want to talk about witty dialogue. I know my favorite lines in all of Doctor Who is Maureen O'Brien going, Oh, and by the way, I think I might have poisoned Nero. You know, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's it's a it's a blast and it, it's a well well needed injection of humor because that you can tell that the, the, the actors are just having a great time with it all. So instead of watching a Doctor Who story full of jokes and good humour, <laughs> let's go to a war-torn, devastated Earth in the future. <laughs> sounds wonderful. Well, look, do you want to count us in? Let's press play. Yeah, okay. So we'll ca- press play in three, two, one. Off we go. And there we go, into time and space. So do you think this is sort of like the end of that sort of first era? Yes. Coming out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that it was shot as part of the first season as well and held over because this does feel like the natural, um, it, almost like the natural finale for that first season. Um, instead, they end it on the Reign of Terror, which as much as I like it, isn't exactly what I would describe as season finale. But yeah, it's it's, it's still a corker of a story, though, that the opening of this is fantastic. Do you remember the Terrence Dix um, opening to the yeah. novel of... Dalek invasion of Earth. Was it again? It was a a dead man. No, go on. You've, you've... A ruined man through a ruined city. Oh, this, yeah, something yeah, like that. Um, but yeah, what a corker of this guy. Just uh, this must have seemed so weird in the sixties. If you think about what Doctor Who's done before, and all of a sudden you've got somebody topping themselves at the start of an episode, it's not. It sets the tone, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it? It does, and I do find like they try so hard in this story to sell an apocalyptic world they're not always successful but you know they're really going for destroyed london and like people who've got emotional trauma because of it but it you know it's just it's it's a great premise for a story you see the state of that tardis it's those those (laughs) windows were in a right state Well, when they pop out and, oh, yeah, the windows are open, aren't they? Yeah, they're sort of leaning in. (laughs) When they're doing the location footage later on, it looks quite hot. So I imagine they just opened it or someone was probably just having a crafty fag in there. This is a perfect example of Richard Martin's very bizarre direction (laughs) in the studio. The camera is literally like focused somewhere above the console. And William Hartnell's head is just sort of in shot just about. You know? It's really odd. I was watching this today and I'm just like, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Richard Martin's direction. He certainly does a lot better when he's out on film than he does in the studios. And this, considering what they get away with and what happens in other stories, like this really feels like studio band, the, the interior stuff in like when they talk about them having tiny sets. I don't necessarily get that on the Aztecs or something like that. But here I'm looking and I'm going, what a tiny, tiny space that they're all in. And yet, weirdly enough, I think you're right. When he's out on location, he's suddenly using wider lenses and yeah. it's visually a lot more sumptuous. And even seeing the location work must have been pretty shocking back then because we had, yeah. apart from uh, not William Hartnell walking to Paris <laughs> in the Reign of Terror, we haven't actually seen any location work to this point. Yeah, I, it's it, it certainly gives the whole story a real epic feel. But then here you are back on a tiny little studio back lot i love that though you know yeah i don't know i just love the fact that they tried to create an entire universe in the corner of lime grove you know yeah it's it's weird like i feel like by the time you get to the trouton era the shows and the producers of the show are very aware of the show's limitations but in the hartnell era and i think this is one of the things that draws me to it they go it doesn't matter that we haven't got any money we are going to go where 
whatever we want in time and space and nothing's going to stop us so even if it does look a bit shoddy by modern standards it's the the ambition is just phenomenal and then you get to a point in like season five where they hit a formula like we know how to make this look kind of expensive because we'll have yeah. one big set but it's suddenly a bit creatively bankrupt whereas yeah. here you know like yeah, of course we're going to go to an alien planet with wasps and ants <laughs> fighting. Like, why can't we do that? Yeah, and we're going to show <laughs> all the studios. Yeah, we're going to show a London completely destroyed. Originally, uh, Terry Nation, in an earlier draft of this, Terry Nation was aware of the budget limitations, and he was like, they're going to come out, it's going to be really misty, they're going to trip over a dead body. And But I thought somewhere, somehow, someone went, no, let's go bigger. And so you get, all, you get this this big sequence of someone throw, throwing themselves in a river and I think they dead set, bodies sort of, everywhere. You know, sort of season two is like, um, get big or get out. Yeah, like yeah. You start off with Planet of Giants and everything's big in that. <laughs> but but then you've got like, you know, something like the Web Planet, which is a big, ambitious story. Yeah, you know, the chase. Well, we're not going to have a chase, you know, for a town. We're going to go for all the time <laughs> and space, you know. Of, of it's almost course. like they know they're popular. They can just do anything, you know. Yeah. The Nation's Brief was basically do the Daleks, but bigger and better. And I mean, that's what they do. I, I I always felt that I could get into that TARDIS, you know, <laughs> where yeah, sort of slip underneath that. Yeah. Oh, I'm quite a big lad, you know, so I don't get. <laughs> Honestly, I um, these these regulars like William Hartnell, William Russell, Jacqueline Hill. I'm telling you now, they could sell anything. Oh, absolutely. They just it doesn't matter how ridiculous a situation they're in. Like they just, it's you just believe them. You believe that they believe they're in the far future or in the past, and it doesn't matter how much the stuff ridiculous stuff is around them. And when William Hartnell makes some of his occasional fluffs, um, the actors around him they know him so well that they they make those fluffs believable as well. Do you know what my favourite one is? Go on. This this shows you the level of geekery here. You know, like my favourite <laughs> William Hartnell line fluff is when he gets in the space museum and they're like which direction doctor and he goes oh, oh. <laughs> and william russell jumps in and goes straight ahead yeah straight ahead, <laughs> boy. Yeah, straight ahead and turn to the right you know <laughs> but, but but that's the um you know they've all come from theater and stuff like that and television still made like a play so that that's what you do if you're an actor in a television in a play and someone dries you you kind of help them along because you have to because you've got to get through it They've really gelled at this yeah. point, haven't they? I remember I did when I did the sensorize, I was like, at that point, I kind of thought like this ensemble has come together and yeah. they're just perfectly natural with each other now, which is why I'm sure William Hartner was as livid as he was in this and in the chase when the regular started deserting the show left, right, and center. Of course. Yeah. I it's interesting that the story where they probably become a unit is Marco Polo, which is obviously missing from the archives. And I think it'd be, and I think that's not just as um, cast members, but as characters too, like it's written in that respect, because they spend, it's months and months they spend in Marco Polo, mm -hmm. I think. Or So it's a shame that we're kind of missing that link from this season, from this early season or the first season. Boy, those teddy snaps are enticing. <laughs> Marco Polo, I mean, there's some money on the screen in that, I'm telling you. Um, but David Whittaker, I think, doesn't get spoken about enough. No, he doesn't. In terms of the scripts he didn't write, because um, I, th I think it's Richard Martin that said, you know, Terry Nation wrote some pretty basic scripts. Now his ideas yeah. were there, and then David Whittaker added a lot of the substance and the character work. And 
there's definite sort of character arc, we call them character arcs now yeah. character journeys let's say throughout series one and two mm. and i think a lot of that is whitaker it is 100 percent. and there's there's a lot of which he wrote a lot of those dalek comics as well and I'm, apparently he wrote the, the movies as well i think he did or, he? or at least did a pass on the movies if i'm remembering correctly so he he shapes all of the sort of classic kind of the first season all the things we think of as like oh terry nation did that or so and so did that he is he's the terence dicks of his day you know like we'll never know how much of the stuff he rewrote but he was rewriting it all and making it a coherent tv show and you know i do think that the story is obviously a lot tighter because it's 90 minutes or well, it's not even 90 minutes the movie is it i think it's yeah it's 80. Like about 87 or something What's like that, that? Yeah, 80, yeah. yeah and so clearly you can fit this narrative into an 87 minute movie and not really yeah. lose much but what you do lose is a lot of this very early atmosphere and this is what terry nation does brilliantly i yeah. think a terry nation part one is is <laughs> yeah. usually where his strengths are a terry nation part four or six it's yeah. usually, you know, <laughs> somewhere in the gutter. But when you've just got people exploring the world, I'm thinking of that first episode of the Daleks, and here as well, it's this, it's it's beat for beat. It's almost the same thing. They're exploring uh, uh, somewhere that is unknown to them. But you get, I mean, we've just seen a load of lovely location footage, which I think you know helps us get out of the studio even more. Like the, in the Daleks, obviously, you've got the whole petrified forest thing. But also, again, we're talking about these guys being settled into the roles. So I think we just missed that lovely line where Hartnell goes, I'm not a half-wit, which is <laughs> fantastic. And his famous uh, jolly good smack bottom, which was ad-libbed by him. It was not in the script. I feel like the emphasis was all wrong, though, when they redid that in Twice Upon a Time. Yeah, I mean... What is it? When people, when they reinterpret Hartnell, mm. they forget how extremely charming and funny he could be and they're yeah. just making this terrible grump yeah it's it's interesting but having said that my girlfriend loves the, um, the first doctor as played by david bradley she's not like a huge doctor who fan or anything but her favorite characters from the new series are the first doctor played by david bradley wow. and jackie tyler <laughs> and jackie's like oh sure we show great taste if you ask yeah, exactly and so she said to me could you show me an episode of uh, with, like the original actor? I just want to see if it's the same. And she was like, show me the first one with the Daleks in. So we, we didn't watch the whole story. We watched episode two. Oh, a complete bloody arsehole in that. Yeah, but she but she was like, oh, it's 100% the same person. Isn't it really great job? 100%. You should have like... shown her the Web Planet episode. While he's, <laughs> he's giggling like a loony throughout. Yeah, no, she, she probably would have left me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's interesting that actually that Bradley version of the Doctor in Twice Upon a Time that people don't like mm. is, is actually more recognisable as the first Doctor to someone who doesn't really like Doctor Who or doesn't or isn't a fan. That's fair, though, I think. Yeah, so it's sort mm. of a caricature in a way. And I find it the same with the Richard uh, Herndl version yeah. of the Five Doctors, who I quite like as well, but he, he sort of gnashes his teeth far more than Hartnell and... Although, you know, Tegan needs a good telling off, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't complain too much. But there's definitely like an emphasis shift. I think it's after this story. Yeah. I think he's still with that kind of like very commanding, very stern William Hunt for a lot of this story. And he kind yeah. of has to be because it's all, you know, 
you poor yeah. pathetic creatures, you know, and then <laughs> taking on the dark. But then Vicky comes along and it just softens him well, in yeah, such it... a, an amazing way. Well, yeah, he gets the granddaughter he'd always wanted instead of that annoying bitch who's been carting around time and space for the whole time. I'd be like that if I had to, was locked in time and space with Susan. Just miserable. Uh, no, I'm being too harsh on Susan's <laughs> lovely Susan. When you were talking about the reign of terror, she's unbearable in that, isn't oh, she? Oh, my God, she's yeah. that cell. Yeah, you're, like, you're kind of hoping that she doesn't pull through and just dies there of like dysentery or something like that not a violent man but i just wish Mark would <laughs> slap her for god's sake you know or you, oh, know, you know when they go off in the car to the guillotine like you know yeah just do it just do, do her it. first yeah or we get we're just about to get a robo man in a box who tips the box over himself there because it didn't fall Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, another director would go again, don't they? But I think they, what could they do at the time? Three cuts or something? It was. Yeah, I think, he, I just don't think he knows how to work a studio at all. I mean, being a director in a studio is a very different thing to being a film director. You know, it's more a technical job of like mixing, vision mixing and getting the cameras in the right place. We're actually, and I think he struggles to do that and kind of get the decent shots that I think he would he would hope to get. So I'm always a little bit disappointed with his work. Interesting here is I think Martin's a better filmic director and Terry Nation is definitely a filmic writer. And in the 70s yeah. when he chips off to you know all those spy shows and things like he's in his element. He can recycle like plot after plot. It's just loads of people going around with car, car chases and guns and you know he hasn't got yeah. to think too much about a plot. Well um, Nation was already doing The Saint at this point oh, um, okay. and Doctor Who was his weekend work so he'd write The Saint Monday to Friday and then he'd write Doctor Who like sometimes <laughs> uh, each script took him eight hours to write which is really? incredible. You know, I always tell that story that um, Donald Tosh tells about you know where's the scripts for Dalek's, Dalek Master Plan and he turns up with this tiny envelope like there's a synopsis for yeah. one to six Fill them out. I'm off to America to sell the Daleks. <laughs> I do want, like, Donald Tosh does have a, a reputation for embellishment, shall we say, though. So, but never Jesus. let the truth get Have you been to a Doctor Who convention? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I've heard some embellishment. <laughs> Barry Letts, you know, he always calls them out on it. Is that true? Are you sure? <laughs> that, he's such a man of integrity. He was not going to bullshit yeah. you, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, really it's, it, it's interesting that you hear. Every now and then you'll see footage from a convention from like the, the 80s and you'll hear the stories that you hear now, but they're because they don't quite get a laugh or a rise, like they're, they're more just normal. And then over time, they've yeah. just be, been embellished and embellished and embellished in order to become that classic convention anecdote. And I turned around and the entire world was wearing eye patches. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was great. I love that when they go through that door there. And, yeah. Uh, Again, there's so definitely then, a there's, like, there's like an atmosphere of doom to this, isn't there? There, there is, is a palpable atmosphere to this first episode. There is, and the guy who falls through the door is uh Peter Diamond, who was also the Roboman who died at the beginning. So he's been in this episode twice already. Is he in the Romans as well? Possibly. He was always getting killed or stabbed. But uh, there we go. This, this stuff. This stuff now with the, the tracking shot across uh, with Barbara running away through the sort of. Um, devastated landscape is fantastic uh, yeah it looks like proper it looks like a proper film it looks like a movie <laughs> doesn't it yeah like and it's a, a great little location i believe it was the wood lane 
underground station like the exterior of that they had like an abandoned tube near there so it's i guess those are like where the, the trains were kept or something but it's um it all looks really good and i didn't realize until i watched this today all of that location footage has got music on it but there's no audio so i'm not sure whether they, they actually recorded audio for this and whether it's all done silent oh okay you can't really tell can you no, I no. Think the music is quite effective. There's a lot of drums going on in this, isn't there? And yeah, and a lot of weird, militaristic beats. Yeah, and then weird little sort of Night of the Living Dead sort of organ synthy sounds as oh, well. Yeah, it's very sort of discordant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's really like off-putting and odd. Oh, but it comes to Dalek Salsa. <laughs> you ever seen Button Moon? Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the saucer that goes up the bottom moon, doesn't it? <laughs> now, do you know why it's so wobbly? Um, but obviously, it's a shit effect. But I was, um... I was drunk holding the string. <laughs> well, the, it's they try to, to do the strings from the bottom rather than the top because they're like your eye automatically looks for the strings at the top. But so they they were like we're doing them sort of on rod type things at the bottom. But it's even harder to control, so it it looks shitter when the strings aren't actually where they're supposed to be. Honestly, Dylan, that is a sort of trivia that gets me hard. Thank <laughs> you very much. That's what I'm here for. That uh, that saucer in um, 2150 AD. Oh, it's gorgeous. Been in discs. Yeah. Man, is there a model of that out? There is. I think because of who owns the rights to those films, there's just no merch associated with them, which is a shame because. You you want a whole army of those Daleks? You, give, give me a Cushing pit uh, action figure. Give me a model of that. It, I'm still waiting for a massive Zarbi, you know. <laughs> it's death. only a matter of time. <laughs> only a matter of time. Well, I, I, I Terry Nation knows how to drop you into a scenario dramatically. Yeah. I think he does it here. He does it in Dalek's Master Plan. He does it in stories like Android Invasion. Yeah. Like he knows where to put you in the narrative. And I love how he builds up his episodes with episode ones with lots of clues. Yeah. So you've got to try and sort of build a picture together. And then usually the answer is, oh, the Daleks are here. <laughs> like at the end yeah. of episode one. Yeah. They're, they're always a great setup. And I, I think. I hate the kind of thing that everybody's like, oh, Terry Nation's a bit of a hack. He's not a bit of a hack. He was a very busy man who sometimes would re require a good script editor to give his uh, his scripts a polish. But here, and the first Dalek story, and indeed the chase, I just think, you know, they're they're, they're quite tight stories. And I mean, the oh. chase episode one, I, we could probably lose. They just sit around watching TV <laughs> for the episode one, then. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole basis of this podcast, though, right? So, you know. Well, exactly. <laughs> I built my entire podcast on the chase episode one. I love that story of um, Hancock saying to Terry, how dare they ask you to write children's television? What a nerve. <laughs> and then 10 years later, he's sipping champagne when Hancock's career is going down the pan. Going, <laughs> You're all right, Terry, Tony, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, he's and I like his other work I've seen. Do you know what I'd be really interested in is actually seeing some of Richard Martin's other work maybe later in his career. Other work, yeah, well, yeah, I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> because I just wonder whether if he if he say made the transition into film or made the at least working on TV shows that were all shot in film, then maybe I'd love to see whether he can actually pull off a, a decent episode of something somewhere well, do you know, like uh, on the documentary martin talks a lot about you know oh i had all these visions of what yeah. i wanted to do with doctor and i didn't have the time and i didn't have the money now to a point i think that's true 
because mm. the budget was small and the time, you know, was precious. But then you watch the chase, which mm. I do love, but for all the wrong reasons. Then yeah. you watch the Dalek's master plan, which is essentially the same story, but executed to the fucking hilt. Mm. And I'm like, well, he had the same time and he had the same money. I think he might have had a little less money on the Dalek's yeah. master plan. Quite possibly. And it's executed with so much more panache. I do think there's certainly an element of the skill of the director as well. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And I think it's a shame that I I don't know, like, I just don't think he's a good studio director. And I don't think he was able to control the floor in a way he wanted to. And it's his stories that I think you see a lot of the the more sort of dodgier cliches of Doctor Who acted out of like cameras bumping into things and yeah. boom mics in shot and in fact this version we're watching on DVD and I think it's the same for the Blu-ray they have um, digitally painted out a few boom mics and stuff like that um, and, and I believe there's also a scene somewhere in here that was shot in studio for day it was supposed to be at night time but it was shot as daytime by mistake and they've darkened that scene a bit further down the line, but I'd, I couldn't tell you which one it is, but it's one of the few Doctor Who stories that we don't have the original edit by the choice of the restoration team. Oh, that's a, Look at that lovely shot there, the high-angle shot of the roadmen walking. Yeah, you see, this stuff is really great, and again, we're in Doctor Who the movie all of a sudden. I don't know, I think that's St. Catherine's Docks yeah, or something like docks. that. Yeah, but it's, it looks brilliant. But also, sometimes he makes very bizarre creative choices as well like i think the road men are a great idea yeah and then when they start talking and it's that yeah. sort of weird slurred and it like it's the idea of like a, a sort of dehumanized person yeah. yeah okay it works but it's a bit try yeah. isn't it like it's a bit embarrassing it is it's also it makes me i do think there's some great stuff you could do with the robo men and indeed they do do it in uh the Dalek Empire series from Big Finish. Mm. But I do think here, like, you're like, how are they stopping anything? They all move really slowly and all they've got is whips. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, if you if you like being whipped, great, you'll have a lovely time. But like I feel like anybody could outrun one of one of the robo men and they're not that much of a threat, which is a shame. Because I'm not they're... sure they get it much better in the movie either, with that no. comedy sequence of them all eating. I don't know what they're eating, little sugar sweets. sweets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the sort of sweets my nan used to buy me that were just pure, pure weird. They look a bit like those rainbow drops, you know? That's the one, yeah. Poor Bernard Cribbins trying to do the synchronized eating. It's all yeah. very strange, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but we are well, heading I... up now to one of the, I think, one of the most memorable cliffhangers. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's one of those ones that's gone into, uh, like the public conscious about Doctor Who as well, in terms of it's one of those classic clips that was always used on clip shows in the eighties and nineties. It's, it's it's great fun. And there we go. This this first bit is the is a model, and then it cuts. To, so as it rises from the water, that's a model. And then when you go into the wide shot, all of a sudden you're you're dealing with the an actual Dalek on location. The kids must be like, they've got a bloody nerve. They've been promising in the trailers the Daleks. Well, where the hell are the Daleks? Well, what a great cap for the episode. I know, it's fantastic, isn't it? Next Is it episode. a different colour to the model? Because it, Yeah. It looks yeah. very different. It, and I think it, I, it, maybe they were losing light. I know they had a lot of trouble pushing the Dalek out of out of the water because uh, it, it, they couldn't move on the, the, the surface. But overall, like, how would you rate that as an opener? 
I think it's a corker of an opener, despite the issues with the direction. I think it's a, a belter. Well, look, at, I'm going to do this at the end of each episode. All right, I'm going to hit you because we I took to Twitter and asked if anybody had some comments or questions for you about the Dalek invasion of Earth. And uh, we have a deluge of questions and there's more coming <laughs> in. So... This is very I... exciting. Oh, well, we don't know. I, we haven't heard them yet. So <laughs> generally speaking, the bunch that listen to this podcast are, you know, erudite, witty, charming. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out. OK, you ready? Yeah. So Jim Allenby, the lovely Jim Allenby, says, is there scope for a spin-off series set during the years that the Daleks occupied the Earth? Oh, absolutely. I would love to see the Rebels versus the Daleks and just how desperate things could get. You could do a really sort of gritty drama about that. I'm there for it. Sign me up. Get, dis- get Disney on the phone. Or oh, And now we've just mentioned it, of course, Big Finish spinoff. It will be out next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason Thompson, I think he's just put a comment. He says, this is a pretty bleak tale for Doctor Who. Certainly the grimmest tale it's told so far. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, it's basically a war story about Nazi occupation. The Daleks work better on location than ever here. Richard Martin may not get the limitations of studio direction, but his location work is superb. Oh, yeah. Agree. Agree. Hey, we didn't even need to do the podcast. We could have just read that comment. <laughs> really? That's basically what we said over the last <laughs> That's half That's our episode hour. one there. <laughs> um, okay, I'll do two more then. Andy Parkinson asks, which version did you see first, the TV or the movie? The movie. I saw the movie a long time before I saw the TV version. In fact, when I first learned about Doctor Who missing episodes, I thought this was missing. So I just never even looked for the um, the, the, the VHS as it was back then of this story. So I know the movie version much better than I know this version. We what had the movie you? on a VHS, right? Yeah, 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 I saw the movie first as well. My mum taped it on a VHS, and every she, but she kept it hidden away. And then when it was like a bank holiday, and it was pissing with rain, and I'd be whinging, I couldn't go out. She she pulled out Dalek, well, the, the two movies, and they come on. So I know the dialogue in those movies inside out and back to front. Yeah. Whereas this, yeah. I've got I kind of like watching it new every time. Yeah, yeah, no. Every time I'm watching this, even this time around, I'm like, oh, this feels slightly unfamiliar in a way that the the film just doesn't. Well, he actually went on to ask, does that all? Uh, does the order you watch these in alter your view? He saw the movie first, and although it might be blasphemous to say, and we agree with this, I think I prefer <laughs> the movie version. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, here's a question then from John Hall, who's being kind of facetious. Uh, is this the only Doctor Who story that has a main cast member of Are You Being Served in it? <laughs> uh, yes. I believe Mrs. Slocum's pussy might be in Planet of Giants, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think apart from apart from the pussy, I think that's it, yeah. I think it is. I think yeah. it is. Well, I'll save some more questions for episodes two to six. Exciting stuff. Uh, And uh, if you hold my hand, let's skip into episode two. I shall do. Let's do it. I'll cut it there. Lovely stuff. Lovely. Good grief, you make this effortless. (laughs) Usually I find I've got to drive it a bit when someone's on this for the first time. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I've listened to quite a few of these, so I feel like I know you, even though we've never met before. There we go. Jesus Christ! A lot of people say, <laughs> "Yeah, I have one one commentary with you, and I feel like I've known you for a lifetime." I think it might be an insult. You know? 